Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Um, great, lovely to see you all this morning. Well, today we're coming to the end of our um, greater series, which has been based in the book of Hebrews. Have you been enjoying that? Have you liked it? Yeah. You've been watching it online if you haven't actually been here? Well, to remind you that this letter was written to the early followers of Jesus who were suffering because of their beliefs. And so the author was writing this letter to encourage them to stand strong in their faith. And there were two main goals of the letter. Let's just remind ourselves. The first one was to show that Jesus was greater than anyone or anything. And because of this, Jesus was worthy of all of their trust and their devotion. And it was also to challenge the readers, as I said, to stand firm and remain faithful to Jesus throughout all the persecution that they were suffering. Um, So over the past few weeks, we've looked at all the different topics. We haven't gone like verse by verse through Hebrews. Hebrews, We've looked at the themes, haven't we? Um, We've seen that Jesus had been greater than uh, the angels, greater than prophets, being being the great high priest, and also creating a way of us relating to God through greater promises. Well, today I'm looking at chapter 11, which focuses on faith. And I think some would say I probably picked (laughs) the easiest one. I got first dibs as we were doing this. I'm so glad I wasn't doing greater than prophets and greater than angels. Trust me. I was like, I think I'll do that one. (laughs) I like a bit of faith. Um, Anyway, so I've called it greater faith, uh, just to keep in in line with the series. Now, there are several sections in the Bible, which if I say the chapter, you'd probably immediately know what the chapter was about. So if I said 1 Corinthians, you'd know that that was all about love. Not everybody, obviously, but a lot of you would know that if you've been following Jesus for a long time. Genesis 1, the creation story, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And Hebrews chapter 11 is another one of those um, chapters that a lot of people would know instantly that it is about faith. And it's often called the faith chapter because of this now the word faith occurs 24 times just in that one chapter and the expression by faith which was said earlier on in Hebrews uh, actually is found 19 times so you can see why it is known as the faith chapter and it and it's a real favorite chapter for many people because it explains it not only describes and explains faith but it gives lots of practical examples of people who lived by faith and some people call it the hall of faith which is a play on the words the hall of fame And the whole chapter encourages us to have enduring faith. That's what it's all about. And to be encouraged by the people from the Old Testament who had this enduring faith. Remember, the writer was speaking to Jews who would have known these characters and would would have known about their lives. Now, it's a really long chapter, so I'm not going to read it all. I'll read a portion of it. But the writer tells um, the stories of all these people, and it is fascinating. So I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. If you want an overview of what some of the Old Testament stories are about, it kind of quickly zips through them. But he says, uh, he tells the stories and he says, by faith, Abel, and then says what he did, by faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. And he talks about all the amazing things that they did in their lives. And he goes on to describe what these people did because of their faith. So let's pick up from verse 32 uh, in chapter 11. You can read it in your Bibles or it is on the screen as you can see. And what more shall I say? 
I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, by James, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So all of these people had amazing faith. And like I said, I would encourage you to go back if you just want to understand their story. So they got a mention in the Hall of Faith. But, but why did they? Why was it so important for the writer to create this long list of people who lived by faith? And what was he trying to say to his readers? I think looking at people who have gone before us in any circumstances really helps us, doesn't it, to believe that we can do the same thing. When we know that people have pushed through, through tough times and through persecution, it gives us the courage to say, I think I can do that too because they've done it. I understand what they've done and and I think I can do that too. And then often we adapt our lives and we go, I'm going to follow that model. So this is what the writer was doing. He was saying, remember those heroes of the faith, the ones that you've had stories told to you. Remember the Jews would have had stories passed through the generation. They didn't have like the Bible that you would pick up, but they would have talked and talked and talked about these heroes of the faith. And so when he says, remember, they would have known. They would have known about Noah and they would have known about Moses. So that's the context of why he was saying that. It gives them a little reminder, but he's saying, remember them and remember the courage and the faith they had so that you can too can stand strong copy the lives that they lived some people call them giants of the faith but actually they were just people like you and me they were ordinary and normal people but they chose to put their faith into action and then they lived accordingly so we have this long list of people who lived amazing lives that were led by their faith And we also have many heroes of the faith from modern times, don't we, that we can perhaps look at. I mean, there are so many. Just just to mention a few, there's Hudson Taylor, who at a very young age sailed across to China and set up the China Inland um, Mission, which is massive and has reached so many people and trained so many people. Corrie ten Boom, who I think is definitely a hero of the faith, who chose to forgive the, the soldier who murdered her sister when she was faced with him years later. She chose to forgive him for that. Jackie Pullinger, who at the age of 22 went over to Hong Kong and chose to, you know, step into her faith and minister to the homeless and the drug addicts in the walled city that nobody wanted to know. And she's still doing that today at the age of 77. William and Catherine Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, and you all know what they did. And through Open Doors Ministry and other like-minded people, we read about and hear about all the story of the people today all across the world who are being persecuted for their faith, for things that we could know nothing about. And I'm sure you've actually got people in your own life, if you you just pause to think, um, who've inspired you to keep going, who've inspired you to have faith and to stand strong. 
But when you read about these people in Hebrews, it's quite a, a lot of people and a lot of amazing things they did. And you might be thinking, well, that's just not me. I am not like that. I am just little me and I'm very ordinary. But I want to suggest today that we are all heroes of the faith. And we can all do what, the same things that they did and our lives can have the same kind of story. Faith is not an exclusive gift that's gifted to just a few people. It is an invitation to all of us. But what does it mean to have faith or to live by faith? Because it can conjure up a lot of things in our minds. A good friend of ours called Steve Bernhope, who is a great writer and a theologian, recently challenged me to think about what faith really was. And so I'm leaning on some of his writings today for this talk. So today I want to explore together, all of us, what it means when the writer of Hebrews says we want us, he wants us to live by faith. Rather than just read it, I want us to really think, what does that mean? The Bible is clear that a key part of the Christian life is to have faith. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But what is faith and what does that even mean? So I want to start by looking at some assumptions that Christians may make or things we may have been told to believe about faith. The first wrong assumption, in my opinion, is that faith is to do with absolute mental certainty. That having faith means never having any doubts in your mind. And this is consistent with how the Living Bible translated Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which says, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is a certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. But this translation doesn't actually help us understand the real meaning of the word faith. It says that you have to completely believe that God will do what he says in his word. Meaning you find a verse, you claim it, and you refuse to allow for any other possibility in your head. But the trouble is the outcome of that understanding of faith uh, means that if it doesn't happen, where does that leave you? And is that the reason? Because you didn't have enough faith. And I think this context of faith is a bit like walking a mental tightrope that you could fall off at any moment if you don't have the right level of faith. And I think it can create anxiety in us. The second wrong assumption we might make is that having faith is like a power to make things happen and that lack of faith will stop something happening. This idea that faith has power is based on the assumption that God has put some kind of cosmic law in place and that he's bound to act by it. So if we have faith, then we'll get it. And you'll often hear people say, won't you, that to receive, we have to ask for and there has to be faith involved, either by the person praying or the person being prayed for. So if that's right, and I'm asking you to step back and look at some of these assumptions that we've always made, if that's right, the only reason we don't get what we ask for is through a lack of faith, either by the person praying or the person being prayed for. And that's not a great conclusion to come to, that it's based on us in any way. And the third wrong assumption is that having faith is about quantity, that faith is measurable on a scale, with perfect faith at one end and no faith at the other. And if I asked you today, if there was a poll, I'm not going to ask you, but if I did ask you, you know, do you think you've got a lot of faith? And it might be different for different things. You probably would score quite low and you'd probably say, no, I don't think I've got a lot of faith. And it might depend on what day of the week I ask you. So I just want to use the analogy of GCSEs just to help us. Now, just to confuse everyone, I don't know if you all know this, but there are now two pass marks and letters have been replaced by numbers. I know. 
Let me explain. A standard pass is a grade four and a strong pass is a grade five. Got that? Nine is the highest mark you can get and one is the lowest, like you haven't really turned up to the exam. Uh, so here's the question. If you sat a GCSE in faith, what do you think you would score? Okay, if you use those numbers. I know it's confusing. Tina sat these and I kept having to go, right, is one high or nine high, low? I, it was so confusing. So remember, nine is high and one is low. So um, would you get a pass, do you think? Would you get a strong pass or just pass? Would you, would you just be underneath? Where would you put yourself? And how do you even know whether you've reached the pass mark? What are you even measuring your faith by? These are things that I think we do need to ask ourselves. So it makes you wonder how some of the people in the Bible got on, doesn't it? So let's just have a look. So Jesus himself, what do, what do you think we'd give him? <laughs> I think he'd probably have to be a nine, wouldn't he, at least. A nine plus plus if there was such a thing. And then we'll look at the Apostle Paul. He did write most of the New Testament. So, you know, what do we think about him? But then again, he didn't get healed, did he, from that thorn in the flesh that he prayed for three times? That bumps him down a bit. Uh, I think, uh, should we give him a seven? Give him a strong seven. Um, <laughs> see, it's hard. And then there's the disciples, the beloved disciples. What would we give them? Two. <laughs> well, didn't Jesus say, oh, ye of little faith to the disciples? But then wasn't it the disciples who he kind of chose to build the church on? Mm, I think we'll give them a five. Generous. <laughs> now, I am being a bit flippant here, but can you see what I mean? We, we don't do this, obviously. We don't go around our lives thinking, what grade would we give that person? But we probably grade ourselves on what we think our level of faith is. So all of those ideas that I've just said aren't actually great biblical understanding of what faith means. They are ideas that have got passed around in the charismatic world and then we've latched onto different things. And I think then we build um, kind of a mental picture of what we think faith is and then we stick with it because we just hear bits and pieces. And you might say, well, what does it matter if we're encouraging everyone to have faith? It doesn't matter really, you know, what different people think. But I, I think it does. And I think a lot of harm is done sometimes when people don't understand what faith means and how that relates to whether they're healed or not healed or whether the person they're praying for or in their own life what they're believing for. So that's what I just want to look at today. It sometimes can offer a convenient explanation if someone doesn't get healed. And I think it makes us feel better sometimes. But, and I'm not saying we all do that, but I, you might have heard these echoes in your lives when you've heard people talk about faith. So let's have a look. I, don't, I think that, just to remind, when, when we talk about faith being that measurable thing and whether we have it or it doesn't, it doesn't make God look very good. Because it's saying that Jesus died enough to, to, loves us enough to die on a cross, but we've got to pass some kind of a test in order for him to answer our, our prayer. So it would be a bit like God dangling a carrot on a stick and saying, you know, if you, if you do this, you can, you can have this answer to your prayers. And it turns God into an answering prayer machine and it becomes very transactional, becomes a mechanism and not a relationship. And I think we often put our faith in faith and not in God. So the idea that faith is a simple mental certainty, just that alone, means that we mustn't have questions or doubts or fears, because if we do, that jeopardises the outcome of what we're feeling. It's like putting petrol in your diesel tank. Has anyone done that? Or diesel in your petrol tank, obviously. And all of these uh, ways of thinking are describing a God who would deal with us transactionally and would be basing everything on laws 
And actually, our God does not base what he does with us on laws. In fact, he says the opposite. It's based on love and grace. And I think some of the ways we think about faith can leave people feeling a failure. And I know that I have done in the past. But our God is not a God of, you will never succeed at this, any more than a loving parent would ask their child to do something and then set them up to fail and say, you know, you don't, you don't come up um, in the past mark. You know, you, you haven't got enough to do what I'm asking you to do. So let's have a look today with fresh eyes what, what I think and other theologians might say that faith means. So the New Testament word, the New Testament Greek word is pistis, which I'm sure you've heard before talked about. But pistis had a range of meanings, which did include the belief that God can do something, obviously, but believing was not its main focus. It's only part of the story. And I think that's where we probably come unstuck again because our English language just isn't as rich. So its normal meaning was trust, loyalty and commitment. And in modern English, faith and faithfulness are two different words, aren't they, for us? Faith and faithfulness. One seems to be steady and fixed, like faith is a strong, we have faith. And then faithfulness is more of a moving, continuing thing that we do. Would that be fair, your understanding of those two words? But in the Bible, in that time, they only had one word for both faith and faithfulness. And this is because faith was faithfulness. So Bible translators over the years have had to make a decision for our language, which word am I going to pick? Because, you know, they have, we just don't have that breadth for translation. When they're translating pistis or any Hebrew equivalent word, the choice they will make will affect how we think about that word. So, for example, let's look at a verse in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which is quoted three times in the New Testament. In the 1984 edition of the New International Version, it says... The righteous shall live by faith. And there's a footnote which says, or by faithfulness. And then in 2011 edition, they changed it round. And they said, the righteous shall live by faithfulness with a footnote, or by faith. And then you're like, well, which is it? Is it faith or faithfulness? And if it's faithfulness, then faithfulness to what? So living by faith is being faithful to the things that we believe are true. And this is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about by showing us the lives of all those people in in chapter 11 that we've looked at. When we start to think about living by faith as a way uh, that shows faithfulness to what we believe, it really changes things. Our doubts and our questions and our fears and our uncertainties become irrelevant. Faith is not about eliminating those things. It's not if you have faith, you will never doubt. If you have faith, you will never have fear. It's not that. Because in spite of them, Jesus is still Lord and we have faith in him, not in our faith. It's like in a marriage, being faithful or unfaithful is not defined by our mental beliefs about marriage. Whether we believe in faithfulness or not is not the point, is it? Just saying it at the altar is not the point. Faithfulness is a doing word, okay? It's a moving action word. It's not just a believing word. It's not enough to stand at an altar and say you believe in faithfulness. What would you have to do to make that a reality? You'd have to be faithful, wouldn't you? Because lots of people say it and then their actions do not back that up. It's, it's, def- it's not defined by what we do and don't do. So it it is defined by what we do and don't do, not just by what we say we believe. And it's relational. 
It's how we are relating to the person that we've become into a covenantal relationship with. It's a doing word. And so is faith. In Mark chapter 9, the father of a boy who was demon-possessed goes to Jesus and they have a short conversation. And the father says, if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. Not exactly unshakable mental certainty there, is it? If you can do anything. Uh, Credibility in the prayer meeting, I'm sure, wouldn't be very good if we started every prayer with, dear Lord, if you can do anything, please, will you? There was no certainty by that man. And then Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. So Jesus' focus was simply on the man believing what was possible. And the father responds with an amazing statement. He says, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. So it seems like a high score on the faith scale and unshakable mental uncertainty was not what Jesus was looking for on that day. And the presence of some unbelief by that man, by that father, was absolutely fine for Jesus. It doesn't seem to be a problem to him. Jesus simply encouraged the man to believe that something was possible, that God could do it. And that brings us to the other side of the coin. The opposite of faith is not just too little faith on a faith scale. Remember that faith scale? The opposite of having faith is not just having less faith. The opposite of faith is deliberate unbelief. It's an unbelief that says God can't do this. God is not able to do this. It's impossible and it's a refusal to believe. And because faith is relational, it's also a refusal to believe in the goodness of God in what he says he is and who he says he is. Which is why it says in Matthew 13 that Jesus only did a few miracles there because of their unbelief. It's not about making something called faith being a powerful force that makes something happen. It's about active and deliberate unbelief that says God can't do this. Unbelief is saying no to divine possibilities. And it's closing the door of our heart to all those things that God can do. Because Jesus said all we need is faith like a mustard seed. And out of that, he can make amazing things happen. So the good news about lack of faith, if I can call it that, that it's not something we can fall into by accident. It's not a grade three or below on the scale. It's a deliberate decision not to believe. And so it's our choice for that. So you haven't got to think, am I on the right scale? If you're choosing to have a tiny bit of faith, If you choose to have deliberate unbelief, that is a different thing because you're not giving God that possibility. So if you want to have more faith and we don't know where to start, I would suggest you just open the door a little bit to believe in God, believe in the power of Almighty God for the possibility of amazing things to happen. And as we begin to allow for that, our faith will obviously grow because God will prove himself to us and we will enter into that dynamic relationship. So we need to cultivate expectancy and pray expectantly. And we show that we're continuing to trust Jesus when we live by faith. So going back to those words, we live by faith simply by doing what a person would do, would Sorry, simply by living the way that a person would live, by doing the things that a person would do who have committed themselves to what they say they believe actually being true. I'm going to unpack that because I know that's a long sentence. We do faithfulness. And it's about connecting what we say we believe to what we are actually doing in our lives. And I'm trying to bring that disconnect that we sometimes have. Because faith is both a doing word and a thinking word. We must have faith, but we must live by faith. 
And as we've said, the whole of Hebrews 11 is about these heroes of the faith of the Old Testament. And we see their example after example of people whose faith was, was shown by how they were living. Not what they believed in, but what they were doing, all the decisions that they made. Their faith was a doing something word. And as I said, you can read about all the things that they did if you've never read that. It was about doing what was right, even when it was really tough circumstances. It was connecting what they said they believed to their actions. Living by faith was acting in ways that were completely aligned with how someone would act if they believed what they said was actually true. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, it's obvious, isn't it? But I don't think it always is, and I'm not sure I always live exactly the way I say I believe. And so this is my challenge to us today. We, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. And this will help us make sense of the verse we looked at in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, in a more literal translation. Because in the King James Version, um, it says, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith happens. Living by faith is happening. And, we, and it's happening when we turn the things we can't see into the things that we can see. We can't see God and we can't see the future, but our lives become the substance of that faith, the tangible things that people can see as the evidence of the things that they can't see. So faith becomes embodied in us. Faith is trust in action. And faith is something that we have in the person of God. And it's also what we do with that faith, the way we choose to live our lives. It's not just about having mental certainty. It's not about claiming promises and never having any doubts in your head. We don't put our faith in faith. When God called us to apply for the job here in Whitstable um, six years ago now, we had many doubts and questions. We didn't have mental surety that we were going to get the job. But what we did have was a relationship with our living father. And we trusted that he was calling us to move on. God was asking us to put our belief and our faith into action. And believe me, there were many times in the process where it would have been far easier to walk away and not carry on. But we felt that God was leading us. And so rather than just give mental assent or just, you know, say that we believe that God leads us and, you know, you know, we put all our trust in God, it was the time to say, well, our lives are now going to demonstrate that. It's not just something we talk about. If we really believe it and we say we believe it, we are going to have to do it because that is what faith in action is. That's what living by faith means, that you trust in the God that you have a relationship with and you put into action all the things that we say we believe in. And we've had to learn to do that many times over our lives. And sometimes we've done it better than others. Sometimes we've failed at it. But um, there was no point for us in just giving lip service to our faith and just saying one thing. For us, living by faith is being all in. And it's, you're all in when it's costly, when it doesn't make sense. When you'd rather do something for yourself than do something for someone else. When you'd rather buy something for yourself or myself rather than give our money away to something else. That's when we have to push through and we have to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and say, what I believe in, I'm actually going to do. I will live by faith in the God that I have a relationship. Otherwise, what is the point? What's the point in is just saying we have faith, but there's no evidence of it in our lives. There's nothing for anybody to see. What, what, what difference is it? I'm not in it to just be in a cosy Christian club. You know, my life has to make a difference to those around me. That's what Jesus wants. 
well, there is no point. We can't just have mental assent to faith. It has to be embodied. And I think Hebrews 11 encourages us to have a faith that is embodied and is an action faith, like those people who, when the chips were down, made amazing, courageous decisions to follow God. Every single time. I mean, it's astonishing some of the things that they did by faith. And I don't always do this, and I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, oh, it's really hard to do it all the time. Of course it is, and of course we'll fail, but we have to keep on trying to link what we say we believe with what we're actually doing. So what is a person of faith? I believe a person of faith is someone who is living in ways that are visible evidence of what they say they believe actually being true. I'll say it again. A person of faith is someone who is living in ways that are visible evidence of what they say they believe actually being true. I honestly believe that a life lived by faith and in faith is exciting and is something worth living for. And I'm going to give some examples of what that might look like. And as I'm going through, I just want you to, you know, ask God to to search your heart and, and let you know if there are areas where you think, actually, I need to embody this more. I need to link what I say with what I'm doing and how I'm living my life. Am I living my life by faith in every single area? So a person of faith is someone who aligns their diary with the belief that God's story is true. So do you prioritise for Jesus in your life? Do you prioritise to come to church regularly, to go to a small group, a place where you can be known and where you can be discipled and be encouraged and known and be known to other people and share your life? Do you prioritise to spend time with God on your own, reading the Bible, meditating, listening to worship, Do you make space in your diary for other people or is it all about you? Are you able to respond to someone in need or is your diary so jam-packed? Now, I appreciate we've been in a pandemic, but I would encourage you to still look at your diary because that will tell you, where am I spending my time? Is it all about me or am I prioritising my faith and having space to respond and doing all of those things that I just said? So that's just something to think about. And if you can't do that now because you've had lockdown and you think your diary's all over the place you know in a few months time go back and look at your diary and think am I prioritizing am I putting into action the things I say I believe is my diary aligned like a person who's living by faith would a person of faith is someone who aligns their resources with the belief that God's story is true and this is something I'm passionate about because it's often one of the hardest things I see for people to do and yet it's so freeing so a few questions for you Do you give generously and sacrificially to God, church, other people? Or is your money your own to keep? Does the first fruit of your labour go to God for him to use and to purpose? Or does it go to yourself? Do you trust God with your finances, all of your finances? Or is that something you think God can't touch? Because, you know, you probably know a bit better about money than he does. Are you generous with your money, being being able to give it freely to whoever needs it or are you more worried about what you've got and so you think I actually again I need to you know look after this myself God does not need our money but he does want our faith and remember faith is an action not just a belief or concept faith is a doing word we live by faith when we link up what we say we believe with what we actually do and if you want to grow in faith I'd really encourage you to do it in the area of money I really would um, I can talk to you a lot more about that, but I just really encourage you to make baby steps and to say, say to God, you know, I realise that my money is not actually mine. The first fruits of this money is yours, and actually all of it's God's. 
And I, I try, we try to live in a way that our money is open to what God wants us to use it for. And that's tough, believe me. When there's something that I'd like to buy or a holiday I want to go on, I'm thinking, oh, if you hadn't done that, you know, you could have done that. But actually, if I say my whole life is dedicated to God and I'm all in with God, then my faith has to match it with that verbal faith and that mental assent that I have. It has to have action. So I have to live by faith with my money as much as any other area of my life. And I think it's really important that we don't just cherry pick the bits that we say we're going to live by faith by. And again, I know this is quite hard and challenging, but I think sometimes we just go, well, I'm really good at that bit and I'm really living by faith in that, but don't touch my money. Or, you know, I'm really good at the money side, but don't expect me to be kind and forgiving and serve the poor. And I do see that. I see it in my own life. And so the challenge is, if we're going to live by faith, I think God wants us to step up and have faith and live by faith in every single area of our life because we will grow as a people. A person of faith is someone who aligns their priorities with the belief that God's story is true. So how do you run your life? Is Jesus right at the centre of everything you do and all the decisions that you make, the big life choices? Is Jesus at the centre? Is he someone that you consult even? And again, in our, in our work, some people just don't even bring God into those big decisions because I think we grow up in this society, we have so much information, don't we, at our fingertips, that we feel empowered to make big decisions we feel empowered that it's ours to do but actually God wants to be really part of our lives he wants us to live by faith and that means that communication that relationship with him and putting into action the things we say we believe so when we come you know as Christians here and we say yes I'm all in and we sing the worship songs my challenge is please go and look at all your lives are you living by faith in every single area because if you're not let some of those areas grow up Um, into bigger areas of faith where you can start to say, I'm really trusting God with my money. I'm really trusting God um, in this area. My priorities really do align with that. And so the evidence of my life is really visible to those around me. And and it is such a powerful testimony, trust me. Our story of even coming here has really touched a lot of people throughout the years who've been shocked that we would make such bold um, uh, decisions like putting our house on the market when we didn't know where we were going and you know really choosing to do those big things and obviously that's not an everyday occurrence but there was that time in our life when it required big faith and it meant are we all in or are we just faking it are we prepared to to show others that our lives are really we are really all in or are we going to go oh that's just too hard I don't think I really trust God that much I don't think I can have that amount of faith So your priorities. Remember, faith is an action word as well as just believing. It's not just a believing word. And that root meaning of the word, it was about trust and faithfulness and this moving idea that it is a continuation. It's a living out thing. A person of faith is someone who aligns their community with the belief that God's story is true. So again, how do you treat other people? Are you gracious and forgiving to those around you? Do you prioritise and invest in other people? Do you release forgiveness if you're hurt? Because that's really important. And again, if we say we have faith in God, but we don't, our lives aren't living out this faith, if we don't do those basic things, then I think we all have to question our faith and say, come on, let's encourage one another to live by faith, which means all of these things all the time. Do you look for opportunities to show compassion? Our faith should lead us to the poor and the marginalised in our society. How does that look? 
in your life? And I'm not saying all the time, obviously, but how does it look? Are we living with that, with that, with that um, kind of feeling that our faith should drive us to those who are the outcasts, drive us to the poor and the marginalised and, and, and the ones that the world doesn't care about? And I know that we all say it, but do we do it? And I've talked to myself here. Are we willing to put ourselves out for those people? You know, when, when we'd rather do this, are we willing to say no? Jesus loves those people, I will go to them. We can't just love the poor and the marginalised in our hearts and not do anything about it. Can you see the difference? We can say, of course, we love the poor and the marginalised, but we are not living by faith by going to them, putting ourselves out, giving them money, giving them a home, I don't know, whatever it would take. And we simply can't just say, actually, that we're following Jesus if our lives don't back that up, if there's no evidence... People of faith are expectant people. So after this pandemic, what are, we expect, what are we expectant for God to do? In our own lives, but also as a church community, are we expectant to see many people come to know Jesus? Are we expectant that people will come back to knowing Jesus who may have walked away in the past? Are we expectant for God to heal our community from the wounds of all the things that have gone on in the last 16, 17 months? the pain and the mental anguish? Are we expecting that God's going to step in and that we will be part of that? Are we expecting that our own lives will see fruit in the next season? Are we expecting that God will answer the prayers of our hearts? And people of faith believe in possibilities because they believe in the God of the possible. So do we believe, actually, that God is able to do anything? Do we believe that everything and anything is possible with our great big God, the, the God who hung the stars and the moon in space, who created each one of us? Do we believe in the God of possibilities? And then do we align our actions with that faith? Are we living in a way that shows the outside world that we believe in a God of the possible and the impossible? And a witch is witch, really. <laughs> and people of faith never doubt that God wants to heal but they always put their faith in God rather than in the healing. So let's be a people who keep having faith in a God who heals. And what, what does that look like? You say, okay, well, that's what we say. Do you remember? We say we have a faith in the God who heals. What does that actually look like? Well, it means that we keep on praying for the person at work who says they've got you know, some kind of illness. We keep on praying for our neighbour. We keep on praying for our family member, even when we don't see the healing, because we believe in a God who wants to heal. And when we struggle with questions and doubt, we ask God for help. Remember? Help me with my unbelief. And then we go again. We pray again. We keep on believing and we keep on praying, recognising that ultimate healing comes as we're united with Christ. And that's not ours to choose, but we keep on praying in faith. And lastly, people of faith, keep on trusting God, whatever the outcome and this, this brings us back to what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Whatever life throws at us, whatever curveballs, whatever situation we're in, whatever hardship, we keep on having faith. When we're disappointed, when life's really rubbish, we keep on trusting in the God who loves us so much. And I want to encourage all of us to keep expecting and to be a people of faith. Be a people of faith who keep choosing to align our lives with the things we say we believe in. Remember, faith is this doing word. It's faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness. 
doing the things that we say we believe in and making our lives look like that to other people. True faith pleases God. Our faith can't just be a hidden belief. It's really important, especially as we're emerging out of this awful time, our faith needs to have substance for the people around us. I want us to be a faithful, faith-filled people wherever we are, whatever we're doing in the coming months and years. Not just having faith and not just believing in our amazing God, but putting substance in our lives that other people look at and go, what on earth is going on with you? Why do you do those things? Why do you keep praying for me? What is it that, that motivates you to live like that? And then you can tell your story of the God you believe, the God of the possible, the God of the impossible. I don't want us to be a people or a church that say one thing, but, but the inside workings of it or the inside of our lives tell a very different story because that's what the Pharisees did, didn't they? And we all know what Jesus said about those people. They stood on the street corners and said lots of things. They gave lots of mental assent to their faith. They, they prayed long, elaborate prayers. And what did Jesus say? They were like whitewashed tombs. They were hypocrites, which basically means two-faced. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So be light. Shine in the little place that God has put you, wherever that is, or the big place, wherever that is. Because you are Jesus' hands and feet on this earth. And you've probably heard that said lots of times, but you are the substance of Jesus on this earth. You are the thing that people look at in order to see Jesus which is a big ask, isn't it? But our actions really do make him smile because faith pleases him. And I honestly believe that this kind of faith is what's going to make a difference in the world as we move on. Lives lived sacrificially and wholeheartedly. When, when they are lived like that, they will inspire this next generation who, quite frankly, probably look around and think there's nothing worth living for. And I'm not over-egging that. There is very little for the next generation coming out of such a difficult pandemic for them. And I think young people have been affected the most. They have sacrificed the most for the older generation, for the middle generation. I know so many young people who have suffered immensely. And I don't mean with COVID. I mean with everything else. With their schooling, with their exams, with the lack of everything that they've had, with the, all the transitions that they haven't had. And now they're being asked to be vaccinated. And, you know, there's so many things... We need to give them something to be inspired by because, quite frankly, with global warming and everything else that's going on, what are they living for if it's not Jesus, if it's not for a, a greater hope? And who are the people that are going to show them that? It's us. It's our lives when they are lived by faith. So if we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, all of those people did courageous things. Their lives embodied what they said they believed. They didn't just sit and say, yes, we believe in God. They actually lived and embodied their faith and made courageous decisions and reached out to that person and, like I said, massive stories. Sorry, I've just gone off piste. <laughs> I want to encourage you today, if you've never given your yes to Jesus, if you don't know the Jesus that I'm talking about, I'm sure many of you do, but if you don't, you know, talk to a trusted friend about their relationship with God and ask them, what does it mean to you? Why do you follow Jesus? Maybe try Alpha. If, you've, if you don't know what I'm talking about or any, about any of this. Because as we put our trust in Jesus, again, he will enable us, he will give us what we need to live by faith. All the things I'm talking about today, we don't do them on our own. 
We do them because the Holy Spirit empowers us. And like that man who went to Jesus and said, help me with my, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. That didn't phase Jesus. He just called him up into that and into the, the fact that Jesus would be there for him. And so even when we're struggling and doubting, go back to God and say, God, help me with my unbelief because I want to live a life that embodies the faith that I say that I believe in. And it is a story that, that's at odds with the culture that we live in, isn't it? And it's just the same for the recipients of this letter. They were struggling. Following Jesus was at odds with their culture. And the writer was saying, you can do it. Look back, but look forward. You know, take what they did, but look forward and embody a life lived by faith. If you're able, why don't you stand? We get to become part of God's great reconciliation. But we only get to be part of that as we choose to follow him. And he was the greatest person that ever lived. And I can't think of anyone else who I would want to be following and putting my trust in. Mark's going to play and why don't we just, if, if you want to, close your eyes, maybe put your hands out and just receive from God this morning. And it's wonderful that we're, we're back in the room and we're able to sing and we're phasing back in. And, um, but, you know, I want us to gear up and I want us to be ready. I'm not saying we've lived a dormant life, but the pandemic has restricted us and we've got out of habits, we've got out of routines maybe that we were doing before about how we live our life by faith. And we've almost become a little bit, you know, a little bit, I don't know, cosy. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but a bit like we haven't had to push ourselves really in lots of areas in terms of, you know, meeting people, being hospitable, because all of that's been stopped. And this is the time where I think we need to wake up again and say, okay, God, how do we do that again? And, and, and encourage ourselves to live by faith again, being courageous, because the opportunities are going to come, and I want us to be ready to do that. Let's get a new vision of who he is today, because that's the thing that will make us motivated when we know who our Father God is, we believe in him. We don't put our faith in faith. Faith is not the thing. God is the thing we put our faith in and his ability in us and the Holy Spirit. And if you've recognised areas that when I've talked and you thought, no, that is an area I know I need to grow in. I'm just not, I'm not living by faith in that area. You know, I'm doing really well in the others, but there's just something I can't let go of in this area then just ask God to help you and maybe try and release it to God. Release that thing that you think is too big and say to God that you want to be all in, all in, not 50%. Let's be an all in people and live by faith. And if you've never given your yes to Jesus, why don't you just open your heart and say, you know, I don't understand you, God. I don't, I don't even know who you are, but I want to know this person of Jesus. I want to know who you are because I can see it affecting the lives of people around me, but I don't know how to step into that. And if you just, like I said, just crank the door open a little bit, Jesus will come flooding in. All you need is faith like a tiny mustard seed. Holy Spirit, just come. Just come right now. Fill every person, God. Lord, where we're lacking, would you come and, and just fill us, God? Where we're lacking in our faith, where we... We know that we're not fully trusting you. We know that we've taken control in this area or that area where we're frightened to step out. 
Lord, we give all of this to you. Would you come, Lord, now and fill us and empower us? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.